What's up, my beautiful freedomist? Today, we're going to talk about what it takes to live a good life with my friend, Jonathan Fields. Welcome to the Suitcase Entrepreneur Podcast. I'm your host, Natalie Sisson from New Zealand, and I'm here to show you how to create freedom in business and adventure in life. Whether you simply want a profitable business you can run from your own home and take the rest of the time off enjoying doing what you love, or if you want to travel the world and be a digital nomad, this podcast is for you. So let's go for it. So what are we all doing here anyway? It's a pretty deep question to ask, I know, but this is something that keeps coming up for me. When it comes down to it, we're all looking for more purpose, more depth and more meaning. But practicing and creating habits that make every single day more rich is a mission of mine and Jonathan Fields, and we share that same sentiment. In today's podcast episode, Jonathan tells us about his new book and shares his approach on creating his best life, which includes a simple daily check-in to create awareness and guide behavior that I think you're going to love. And he talks about how he's able to reserve time for vitality, connection, and contribution, and how maintaining those areas of his life has become non-negotiable. Now, because this is also Systems Month on the podcast, we talk about that as well. In particular, actually, the systems that he used to to create this book and to create these habits that are within this book. We also talk about the good life buckets and how you can use them to create a better life. Why optimizing systems are the key to freedom. How forming habits can impact your quality of life. And why gratitude is one of the greatest influences of happiness. So I really hope you enjoy this interview. I love talking to Jonathan. I've had him on the show before and yeah, I just, it's always so much fun to jam with him. And at the end of this podcast, if you stick around, I'm going to be giving away one copy of his book, The Good Life Project. And if you come across to suitcaseentrepreneur.com forward slash 287, that's episode 287, and leave a comment on which one of the buckets you feel is a little bit depleted right now, I'm going to give away one copy of the book and next week to one lucky person who leaves a comment about the bucket that they want to fill up. Hope you enjoy it. Before we dive in, if you have a blog or website, which I'm pretty sure you do if you're listening to this podcast, probably because you have a business that you're running in some part online, and you want a reliable host so that your website can get a ton of visitors and never ever go down, then please check out HostGator. They are my awesome podcast sponsor and they've supported me for an entire year almost, and they're also pretty awesome with hosting. They were the first ever company that I hosted my blog through and they were fantastic. In addition to that, they have 24-7 support, 365 days a year, which is critical. And they also offer unmetered disk space and bandwidth and a really easy to use control panel. So if you want to get 50% off, really generous, 50% off any new hosting package, go to hostgator.com forward slash suitcase. And you can always tweet them as well at HostGator and say thanks for uh, sponsoring the podcast show at Suitcase Entrepreneur and making it even cooler and better by being a part of it. All right, let's dive into this episode. Hi, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the Suitcase Entrepreneur Podcast, where we're all about creating freedom in business and adventure in life. And I'm super thrilled to invite my amigo, Jonathan Fields, back to the podcast to talk about why we all need to have a good life. So welcome back. 
Uh, it's always great to be hanging out with you. It is so good. I'm really excited. We've been jamming before this, so I'm a little bit hyped up. And ultimately <laughs> today, um, I would love to talk to you about what it takes to live a good life. Now, as I mentioned to you before we jumped on, this month is all about creating more freedom from having better systems in place and actually taking a bit of a bird's eye view, look at how your your business and lifestyle is working for you right now and what can you do to create more freedom in that day, to have more energy, more vitality, more creativity, and to not be so ingrained in the business operations. And I think, you know, with your book that's just coming out, I would love for you to talk a little bit about why it was so important for you to write it and we can go into what it takes to live a good life. But first off, like, why have you written this book? What do you yeah. want people to really get out of it? I want people to do the book. You know, there are a million <laughs> books out there and man, we all know that there is no lack of information um, out in the world. And the funny thing is, as I was writing this, the big question in my mind is as soon as, you know, like the title popped into my head, how to live a good life, the next question flashing almost violently in my mind was, oh my God, who are you to write a book called how to live a good life? <laughs> you know, like this, the single most vexing question in all of humankind and some, you know, like schleffy middle-aged guy from the Upper West Side of Manhattan has something to say about that. But it became really clear to me that, you know, what the book needed to be about was, um, fixing a problem which was not so much information like the big problem that at least i've seen and experienced and this is through everything through you know like teaching thousands of people yoga to meditation to leading people and helping them build businesses across the board so the idea is that rather than just providing additional information i asked myself why don't people actually if we've known everything that we need to know for thousands of years then why is the human condition still largely the human condition filled with suffering and people not actually feeling like they're, they're rising into their potential and they're disconnected and they haven't found meaning. And my sense from conversations and just through living 50 years on the planet and learning at the feet of amazing teachers is that very often it's not conveyed in a way where it doesn't require a certain amount of buy-in into belief, into really complicated systems and structures and and it's heavy and it just doesn't land. So my job in writing the book was to basically say, okay, how can I share these ideas in a way where you, it's super simple, almost deceptively simple, where you hear it once, you remember for life, and then it actually guides your behavior for the rest of your life. It tells you how to make decisions and then walk people through literally 30 days, 30 examples of, of things to do to apply this to your daily life so that it starts to build the habit, build the behavior, and then with the hope that they'll then continue it for life. And that's my goal is that the, the book incites possibility and then takes you by the hand, gets you started and takes you far enough down the road that you're motivated, you're seeing progress, and you're just going to keep having fun and experimenting and doing these things for life. Oh my God, that sounds awesome. I'm going to go and buy the book seriously <laughs> because as I'm doing research for my own book right now, this is so so important to me and something that as I embark on a sort of a freedom year ahead of learning and experimenting and research and things I think it's really great to have guiding principles and habits and habits aren't formed in an instant in fact do you know it takes I believe it's 66 days to form a habit not the 21 days that people always talk about have you read that in any of your research I, I hear I, it's 66 yeah I've actually heard um really differing numbers and part of it from what I understand also happens to do with basically how much self self regulation it takes for that particular behavior like I can tell you right now for a fact 
that I can form a daily dark chocolate habit in less than a second. (laughs) 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 There's no 66 days needed for that. But um, I think like from what I've seen, generally the higher up the self-regulation threshold you go, the longer it takes for sort of the neural repatterning. Yeah, absolutely. Of course, it comes down to discipline and your commitment to those habits. But yeah, I'm really interested. So how long has this book kind of taken you to write? Because I know you had your Good Life Project TV series, which was amazing. Well, online web TV and then your podcast. It was super honored to be part of that. But you must have interviewed, as you said, the most amazing minds and people. And what have you come across as this kind of underlying theme of what it takes to live a good life? Yeah, I mean, it's been an amazing chunk of years. Good Life Project's five years old almost right now. It's amazing to me. that it's, I feel like I blinked and I feel like we're still in startup mode. Um, but uh, yeah, just having the opportunity to sit down with so many stunning people. And my quest has always been to find what I call embodied teachers, people who don't just write or speak about these ideas, but actually you can just literally be in a room with them and feel it. And you look at the way that they're living their lives and you just know that this is actually you know, like they're sweating this stuff. They're living and breathing it. And then, um, and then see if I can recognize patterns that are coming across all of them. And there are three common things that really just kept coming to me over and over and over. And that is, and I, I ended up sort of creating a visual around them called the buckets or the good life buckets. And this is where that you have like a deceptively simple idea. So if you think of your life as three buckets, one is called vitality, one is called connection, one is called contribution. And your job, you know, if you want to live a good life, then what we're here to do is every day we need to fill those buckets a little bit. Mm -hmm. And you fill your vitality bucket by doing things to optimize your state of mind and body. You fill your connection bucket by doing things to cultivate and deepen relationships that are truly meaningful. And you fill your contribution bucket by doing meaningful work in the world that is very closely aligned with the essence of who you are um, so that you really, you feel like you're lit up and filled with a sense of purpose. And so, you know, that's why I said the idea is not complex, but distilling so many people's journeys and the wisdom of so many people into this really simple visual, you know, is it (laughs) takes a lot of work to make the complex simple. But, you know, when you see that, like you can picture that visual in your mind, like you wake up in the morning, oh, I got three buckets. You know, you do a quick scan. Mm, How full is my contribution bucket today? I've been doing great work knocking out of the park, really leveraging my strengths. And, you know, there's profound meaning in what I do. I give that a nine out of a 10. You know, how about my connection bucket? Well, you know what? I feel like, you know, my, my partner, we've just been kind of drifting a little bit or I feel like the community that I feel so close to, I haven't really dipped into that in a while. I'm going to give that a six out of 10. And my vitality, maybe you've come out of like a fierce work period or launch, you're like, oh, vitality vitality's at three. Literally takes 10 seconds to do that, that in the morning. <laughs> yeah, right, we all do. Um, and so you do that scan, 10 seconds in the morning, right? And you now have, you know what your job is for the day. Your single most important task is to do things that are going to fill your vitality bucket. And there are plenty of other things that you can do, but you know that underlying that, you know, like, your core job that day is to really to bring that back up to where it needs to be. And maybe it's not just for the day, but maybe it's weeks until it gets where it needs to be. So the idea is it guides your behavior. You know, it's a simple idea that you can create a simple metric for every morning, and then it actually guides your behavior. So it tells you, it, it gives you something to do. And that's, 
that's where I think um, the real value is, hopefully. I think it sounds fantastic. I mean, I, the simpler the better for me. So three buckets is so easy to to remember and to consider, yeah. you know, rather than, oh, here's my 20-step morning checklist to jump before I even right. jump out of bed. Um, I'm the and same sim- way. Yeah, and simple is what simple does. And I, I do daily gratitudes. And I just try and keep it super simple. But I really like the sound of this. And to check in, is it morning and night? So you kind of go where I'm at this morning and where am I at at the end of the day? Yeah, I mean, you certainly can. Um, For me, I'm generally like focus more on the morning side of it. I'll have a little morning practice and a little evening practice that is a little bit different than the buckets. Um, And then on a weekly basis, I'll, you know, do a little bit of a deeper dive and really ask myself, okay, you know, if I look at the the major things that fill each bucket, um, how how satisfied am I with the level that they're at? And what did I do to contribute to this? And what can I do to do a better job with this, you know, in the week to come? Yeah, I really like that. So big question for the author. Do you do this every day? <laughs> Sometimes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> and and what um, have you found since doing it? So okay, let's say the 80-20 rule applies here. You're doing it 80% of the time. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, that's not actually the 80 rule. But um, yeah, how have you found it's changed your life even in the last six months? It allows me to be much more intentional with the way that I create my day. So, and the mm-hmm. truth is I actually probably do do it pretty much every day, but I don't, yeah. it's become such an embodied practice for me. I just kind of like, I wake up, I'm like, you know, like super quick scan, what do I need? Um, and it allows me to be really intentional. So I know, you know, if I'm having a low energy day, if I slept terribly, if I'm, you know, like my, the most important thing for me to do that day will be really focusing on taking care of what uh, Liz Gilbert described to me as, you know, like your animal for that day. And that's, you know, so I'll make sure that even though I have to get work done, I will really, I'll be more hyper-focused on actually making sure that, um, you know, I know you're a fan of Pomodoros, you know, like doing, you know, pulsing intervals and making sure that I move, making sure that I go out and take walks, making sure that I eat really, really well, making sure that my mindset practices are rock solid that day. Because I know that that's, that's going to be my sort of my, um, my Achilles heel for that day. And I need to... I need to do something to get that bucket back up to where it needs to be. Um, Absolutely. So, you know, and it, you know, it's it's fun because we're having this conversation while I'm in the middle of bringing a book to the world, which means, you know, necessarily mm-hmm. I'm in it. You know, like uh, there's a drain going on right now. I'm working fiercely, 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 and so if I look at my buckets right now, my contribution bucket is through the roof because I feel like I'm just giving and creating, and I really believe in what I'm doing. My connection bucket is actually pretty good too because I work with my wife. You know, like the love of my life is also my business partner and my team is amazing. We love each other. And so I get to kind of, you know, do all of that together. And the challenge for me is vitality. I still have a really strong morning practice, mindset practice. But the work that I have to do is wake up every day and absolutely make sure that I schedule. I literally have to bake into my schedule now vitality bucket filling time because if it's not if it's not built into my schedule that time will vanish in a moment so um i literally it's funny like my team knows they look at my google calendar right now and there are all these blocks all over my schedule for the next three weeks that basically say you know like free time do not book um i love it (laughs) and those are those are all those are all intended to be vitality bucket filling moments Awesome. Uh, and that is a key question that I want to ask. I mean, you are right in the heart of this birthing this book as uh, a birth and writing it, I think, is a challenge enough. And then putting it out there is huge. And how you talked a little bit about it, but I find that's the time when habits go out the window, when people mm. put aside the most important things. 
you know, we all do it. And I know that recently during my Freedom Plan launch, I committed fully to better eating, good sleeps and exercise regardless of where I'm at or how many things were going crazy. And that's, that is hard to do, but man, it made me feel better throughout it. And I think it gave me the sanity and the goodness to, to do my best with it. So how have you been finding that? I mean, you talked briefly about it, but I guess more importantly here, the question is what is the key to continuing those enriching habits daily when you suddenly think, I don't have time, I'm too stressed, I'm too busy, too many things? Yeah, I think there are a couple of things for me. Um, one is anticipating it. You know, So if you know that there's going to be a window of time where there's a particular set of habits that are critical for you, but it'll also be, you know, your, the chatter in your mind is going to be like, I don't have time, I don't have time, I don't have time. Know that coming into it and build scaffolding in advance to make sure that you're, you're holding yourself accountable to doing it, that it's built into your schedule and everything's baked around it, and that either a community or an important other person or a small group are also there kind of watching out for you and ensuring that you're doing those things and taking care of yourself, make sure everything's really good. So I've, you know, I, I've, I've done that and it doesn't always work as well as I would love it to, but um, for the most part, you know, whether it was hitting the deadline, like turning in the, the manuscript, I built a lot of systems around that and I made sure that I was actually up and I was moving my body because I also knew I would write a lot better and I would write more effectively and more efficiently and go deeper if I was eating really well and exercising. So I kept reminding myself, you know, this will actually allow me to do the thing, like the main thing, like my main task that I have right now from the contribution side of things, I won't be able to do nearly as well if I actually don't take care of the other things. So constantly kind of reminding myself of that and then doing it. I think having outside external, both internal and external accountability mechanisms can be really important also. So I'll let people know what's going on. And so here's something interesting that I did too. So part of my commitment these days is to reclaim time and space in my life for art. And so at maybe the single most demanding time in my year, right now, three weeks ago, I committed to um, taking watercoloring. So every Friday from 10 a.m. to 1 p.m., I'm actually in a painting studio painting. Oh, really? I love that. Yeah, and it's been really tempting. You know, like there's, you know, I look at my schedule, I'm like, wow, that's three hours out of my day when I'm in the middle of launching something really big. How can I justify that? And then my next sentence is, how can I not justify that? Mm-hmm. You know, because this is three hours that, is, that are going to renew me. They'll completely refresh my state of mind. They'll take my cognitive function and replenish it. They'll take my creativity to a new level. And they'll just kind of bring me back to a calm place. And so for me, you know, I've just decided that no matter how busy I get, that's sacred. That's not going to be um, given up. Yeah, I love that. I I really love the art and creativity there and I'm super excited to hear that and hopefully you guys are taking notes out there. Um, Let's come back to some of these systems that you mentioned around writing a manuscript to this book and what you've you've learned from that. Given this is Systems Month, let's help people out because I know there's Mm -hmm. probably some budding authors and writers and I know for myself with a book coming up that I need to write, I want to get really disciplined about this and have a daily commitment to writing but also hack some of the systems that work. So I'd love to hear what's worked for yeah. you. So there are a couple of things I can tell you about um, systemizing the process or particular rules that were super effective for me in the writing process this time around, which I didn't do in my last books. Um, hmm. 
One is I figured out the time of days that are my optimal creative windows. For me, it's early in the morning and also pretty late at night. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> I think I'll probably be the same. <laughs> yeah, I think a lot of people are actually. You know, for me, early in the morning is easier to honor, um, whereas later in the evening, that's when my daughter and my wife are around. And even though that's an optimal creative window, you know, um, there's nothing more important in my life than my family. So th- that's the time where I would do family. But if I was going to write in the evening, what I would usually do is from about 8 till 10 p.m. There's a cafe downstairs from me. I live in New York City. And I would go down there. I was generally the last person. I'd just like sit at a table in the back and write. And um, so, so optimizing around what I know are my peak creative windows was really important because I could create much faster and better work product when I did that. And then it gave me more time to just go and live and breathe and do other things. The other thing that I do is I would write every single day for a fixed number of, um, I'm trying to remember what it was, because I've experimented with so many different things. I think it was in the last month I was doing a certain number of words per day, but I didn't hold myself fiercely to that because there was something that was more important. And this was something that I learned from a 1958 interview with Ernest Hemingway in the Paris Review. And... George Plimpton was interviewing him about his writing process. And Hemingway said, you know, never stop when, until you know what the next line is. So what I did was um, the vast majority of the book after the first few chapters are actually really short, tight, sweet. They're like five to eight page mini chapters. So what I would do is I was literally, I got into a really sweet rhythm where I was writing a chapter a day, you know, in rough draft form. And But then what I would do is I wouldn't finish at the end of the chapter. I would write a chapter, and then I would start anywhere from a paragraph to a page and a half into the next chapter, and then I would stop. And the reason Hemingway did that and the reason that I did that is because then when I came back to it the next day, I wouldn't face the sort of, you know, like, okay, where do I start question. (laughs) Yeah, I love it. I had already figured that out and I was already into it and I actually wanted to keep writing and I, w- I had to force myself to stop. So now when I come back to it the next day, it's just like, boom, there's my ramping time is almost gone and I'm just immediately back in because I, you know, I've gotten past the initial struggle and I, I can't wait to dive deeper into what I've started. So that I found to be really effective for me. I think I would actually credit that with a large part of the reason that I was able to write so much so quickly mm. um, was this this I felt like this just it gave me momentum it just started building steam and it was really powerful and I, I I looked forward to coming and sitting down every day so that one rule I found to be really effective and you match that with your peak creative windows um, and I thought that was really instructive and the third thing mm. was that I had this is a very different book for me to write on a lot of different reasons. Um, but one of them is structurally, it's a very different book. And I didn't really, I, because I don't read a lot of traditional personal development books, I'm always sort of more on the side of uh, philosophy or theology or positive psychology and science. I'm sort of like the two warring things. I didn't really understand the genres, what I discovered coming into it. And so it took me three manuscripts. And the first two, my publisher told me, weren't it. So before I wrote the third one, yeah, I know you never want to hear that. (laughs) 
before I wrote the third one, I went and I read a whole bunch of the top selling um, books in the space over the last 10 years to see if I could understand what the system was, what the, was there a pattern or a framework or a formula within them that they all followed? And indeed there is. Um, so once I had enough data and the pattern became clear, like I knew what the system had to be, then the challenge for me was, can I follow that and still feel good about my writing process? Because it's not my normal approach. You know, I'm much more sort of like, I like to go into these really deep dives. Um, and this was a much lighter, much simpler, much more straightforward treatment. And, and honestly, a much easier read and equally, if not more valuable, but it just wasn't my normal approach. So I started writing it and I, I reworked the table of contents according to that. I was like, okay, this would work. And then I wrote the first four chapters to see if I would just be okay doing it. And I realized that it was actually, because I had this structure in place, it was a way easier book to write and I really enjoyed doing it. So once mm. I had that sort of like the framework, um, then writing to that framework became my new set of creative constraints and also my new creative challenge. Like, could I write what I felt was a really good book that I'd be proud of working within this, these new creative constraints? That became, as a writer, my creative challenge that made me really want to work hard. And, um, and that fueled me too. So it's so interesting. I know this is a lot of what you preach, right? Is that, you know, when we think about gaining freedom, most of us reject the idea of systems and constraints, but it's so crystal clear to me that, you know, that systems and constraints so often are, are the gateway to freedom on so many levels. Oh my gosh, yes. Yeah, I want to steal that um, the strategy as well that you've uncovered. That's very impressive. And also really just neat that you, you took that time to do the research and figure that out versus maybe struggling or taking that initial feedback from publisher and going, hmm, you know, what am yeah. I supposed to do with that? Well, tr trust me, it wasn't really voluntary. After like I wrote two <laughs> manuscripts and they were like, dude, no, this isn't it. I was like, oh, what do I do? <laughs> Can I ask what, it, what you know, what they said wasn't it like were they just not happy with the structure or they just didn't feel it was a book that was zigging when everybody else was zagging or what what was it that yeah so the first time um i think structurally they mm. were they were like it's not quite it and also from a content and an idea and where i was focusing they said it wasn't it the second time mm. the response was literally like you know this isn't it again and we don't know what to tell you anymore mm. um so I was I was left largely to try and figure it out, mm -hmm. um, and probably rightly so. You know, they're, they 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 didn't really know how to guide me at that point because I think at that point they probably realized before I did that the next journey had to be internal for me. Mm -hmm. You know, I need to, to actually do some work to figure out where I needed to go and what I would be okay doing. And to my editor's credit, also. Um, I have a feeling she was also pushing me because she knew I had something better inside of me. Mm. Um, she just knew. And we were, we were both committed to creating something extraordinary. And I kind of feel like it was also to a certain extent her way of not letting me off the hook yeah, and sort of challenging me to go deeper. Love it. And that's what a good answer should do. Um, exactly. And so from here, I just I would love to go into, obviously without giving away the whole book, but just a couple of tips on what you found over the years on – within those three buckets, um, maybe your favorite things that people can do straight away and implement, because you said this is a doing book. So yep. what are maybe three things you'd love people to do uh, tomorrow based off what they know about what you've been talking about? 
Sure. Let's let's take it some fun things here. Yeah. Um, so, so remember when I said we talk about filling the vitality bucket, I talk about that's optimizing your state of mind and body. And they're the same thing to me. It, it, the mind and body are just a, a feedback mechanism. There's no separateness in, at all. Mm-hmm. So, um, so I address them both under the same bucket. And one of the things that you actually mentioned is that you do a daily gratitude journal. And a lot of people do a daily gratitude journal. And that's gotten a ton of coverage. And the reason is because, you know, Martin Seligman, the, the, the father of positive psychology, began to research this and actually came out with some interesting data that showed that gratitude actually is one of the most effective influencers of happiness and optimism and positivity that we have, which seems, it's almost silly how simple it is, yet how effective it is, is to write a gratitude journal every day. Like, and most people do that by sharing three things. You're like, here are three things that went that went right today that I'm grateful for and that in some way I was involved in. And that's something that I talk about in the book. But there is another invitation that I have in one of my daily explorations, and it's called the gratitude visit. Mm-hmm. And not many people talk about this or do it, but it is, a, you know, in the, the literature, it is, it is about the single most effective intervention on the planet. And here's how it works. And this is why people don't do it as often because it takes more work. You think of somebody in your past who has really made a difference in your life, but you've never actually sat down and really thanked, at least on the level that they really should be thanked. Then you sit down and you write a letter to them. You tell them you know, what they meant to you, share a story or two, and how grateful you are and how, it really, how it's really mattered to you and made a difference and why. Then you write about a page. You call them up. And you say, hey, you're round. I just want to swing by and say hello. You don't tell them why you're coming. You go and you ask them, you know, you sit with them. You take out your letter and you read it to them face to face. And the shift not, I mean, obviously for them, it's this really beautiful moment because things have come full circle and there will very likely be a lot of tears. But the tears happen on both sides because Mm -hmm. what the research shows is that the effect of the gratitude visit on the person who has written the letter and is reading it is stunning in terms of its impact on state of mind. And that actually lasts. It, it endures way beyond that short window when you're actually sharing your words, very often for days, if not longer afterwards. So it's kind of a really cool um, thing, to, you know, maybe once a week. Yeah. See if you can challenge yourself to do a gratitude visit. It's a really beautiful thing. No, I love that idea. I hope people have really taken this in and learned from it because I think you do a tremendous job of being probably one of the most present people I know. And that's, that's I think, difficult when you're living in New York City, to be honest. <laughs> um, so you continue to do that. I know when I'm there, I, I find my energy can be either vibrant from the city or the city can suck it. And so I think it's extra special that you practice this there. And it also shows that if you're living in particularly either a a life that is fulfilled, I prefer to use the word, than busy, or you're living in an environment that is by its very nature busy and, um, you know, almost chaotic or thriving, then you can still practice a lot of these three bucket habits that are in them and live a really, really good life, or I'd love to say a great life. Yeah. Yeah, 100%. Uh, Just to finish off, who is this book for? Like, who is going to get the most out of this? Yeah, so um, it would be easy to say anybody who wants to live a good life, but that's kind of silly because <laughs> well, okay, that's, that's also, obviously right. the dragon nugget. Yes. Yeah, that's also like a marketer's worst nightmare. It's for everybody. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
Um, it no, probably you know, I, is, though. To be honest, it probably it, is. Right. So, mm-hmm. so to be honest, it is. But who I really wrote it for, the, the person I had in mind when I was writing this was somebody who was in the middle years of their life who has probably given up a certain amount of freedom, a certain amount of identity, a certain amount of will, and sacrificed a fair amount and hit a point in their lives where they're saying, you know what, um, look, I, there's there's so much good in my life, but I wake up every morning and I'm feeling like there's so much more potential that's just beyond my grasp and I don't know how to reach it. Feeling like I'm not, I can't remember the last time I, I felt like I moved through life where I was my best self. You know, feeling like I'm I'm disconnected or I see myself getting disconnected from the people who I claim to hold dear in my life and that's not okay with me. Feeling like my work, maybe it has some meaning, maybe it's, but you know what? I feel like I'm not let up by it. Um, there are there are things that I know I could be doing to really con- contribute to the world on a different level, and I don't quite know how to get there or what they are. And um, and I feel like health wise and state of mind wise, I need help. Um, and you know, very often when you're a little bit younger, you're still sort of invincible. And and when you start to hit thirties, forties, fifties these things start to become much more present in your life and you start to ask much bigger questions and and the pain also builds and it grows to a point where it becomes intolerable. I would love for this book to catch people before they hit that pain point mm-hmm. um, where it becomes stifling and say, hey, listen, um, what you're looking for actually is possible. Um, it is possible to reclaim that sense of identity and vitality and meaning and connection and move through the rest of your life in a way that is deeply meaningful and and filling, using your words, fulfilling. Yeah. And um and 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 you don't have to blow everything up to make that happen. You can treat it as a daily practice and do just little things every day, and over time, they'll end up making a really big difference. So that's really well. The book can, is certainly can help everyone from you know like kids to people you know retirees. That's that's really who I wrote it for, that person. Hmm, that's beautiful. I could hear the emotion in your voice. You you wrote it for me, Giles, and you just needed to mm. say that. No, it's just coming out. Yeah. You know, it's kind of funny. The pain, sorry. Actually, no, that's not fair. But I was thinking midlife point or one of the midlife points. So, yeah. I, yeah. Um, it's kind of funny. I opened the book with a with a, a pretty personal story about me and my mom. And um, and I shared it with somebody on my team early and because uh, I wasn't sure if I, we were going to keep it in or not. And um and she read the whole introduction, and and a little bit later in the in the introduction, I actually described who I was writing the book for, and she came back to me after she read like the first twenty twenty five pages, and she's like, "So, so you wrote this book for your mom, huh?" <laughs> and I was like, "Oh, I actually never thought about that, but um, yeah, I think you know to a certain extent, it's sort of like my mom when she was forty, and I, I'm still grappling with that a little bit, to be honest <laughs> with you." But um, yeah. yeah, to a certain extent, that there may be some truth in that. Yeah, I would say there probably is. You yeah. do you do write for an audience that you really want to hear your message. You know, who you feel you'd love to be able to help, but you're not always capable of helping because they have to help themselves. But um, or or see that light or come to that realization. But I think that's a beautiful thing. Well, it has been an absolute pleasure. I would love to leave people with the best place to find you and thank you for your wisdom today. So where's the best place to reach out? One, to learn about the book and two, to personally thank you for being on the show. Oh, thank. well, first, thank you so much for hanging out. I always love jamming with you and it's just a gift <laughs> to be able to 
to share with you and and have a conversation with your community too. Best places to find me and the book are goodlifeproject.com slash book is where you can learn more about the book and all sorts of fun, you know, pre-order bundles and and other than that, places to find me are also goodlifeproject.com or I'm pretty active on Instagram these days too, which is just either Jonathan Fields or Good Life Project on Insta. Well, you should be coming up more on my Instagram. I'm loving it too. I'm loving Insta stories. So I'm going to go in and follow you right now. Yeah, I have to start doing more stories. Actually, I have. I'm I'm rocking a very old iPhone that's maxed out. <laughs> so as soon as I upgrade, I'll have more space for video for this. Very cool. Well, thank you so much again, and I'm I'm really looking forward to more and more people having a good life, and if not, a great life, and then of course a free life. I really hope you enjoyed my chat session with Jonathan and I'm really excited to start reading his book. To be honest, I really love the way it's simplified into three key buckets. Um, I think we're always testing, aren't we? We're always testing what works for us in terms of how we want to live our life, how we maintain everyday focus and which habits are serving us and how we make sure we have purpose in our life and what kind of either goal setting or practice or habits or intentions work for us and so I really want to see if this works for you so once again I'm giving away a free copy buying one copy and giving it away to you if you come across to suitcaseentrepreneur.com forward slash 287 and just pop a comment below the podcast post telling me which of the three buckets you feel a little bit depleted in right now or which of those you need to fill up. That's all you need to do. Hope you've enjoyed this episode of The Suitcase Entrepreneur. Stay tuned for next week. I've got more great guests coming up and more fantastic wisdom, tips, and advice for you. Here's to your freedom. Here's to your freedom.